All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T Connects and Ode to Podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Network on iHeartMedia. Before we begin, I want to give some thanks to our team. Thank you, Grace and Cole, for our graphics, Pepper Chambers for writing, Angelo Greco and Anna Mesa for managing our social media, Tiffany Hale for everything, Erica England for Patreon support, and our production team at Large Media. That's L-A-R-J-Media.com. Also, let me tell you what we have going on over at Patreon. Patreon is like our family, where you can become a member and get access to every episode commercial-free, plus videos of inspiration from yours truly, merchandise deals, and a lot more. Head over to patreon.com forward slash hello somebody and become a member today. All proceeds from Patreon go to support the production of this podcast. Joining us today on Hello Somebody is award-winning journalist Jamil Hill. In 2018, she was named Journalist of the Year by the National Association of Black Journalists. She is a cultural critic, cultural icon, and a woman that tells it just like it is, as my grandmother would say. She is the host of the podcast, Jamil Hill is Unbothered. She's also a writer for the Atlantic Magazine. Jamil and I talked about several subjects, including instruments of the devil, three-inch heels. Come on, take a listen. The last time we were together was in LA. It was a beautiful day, beautiful event. And you were the moderator for Two amazing people, but in particular, I got a strong bias towards Dr. Angela Davis, whose birthday we just recognized, you know, a, a couple of days ago. And it was so engaging, the conversation that you were having, and Common. I mean, who could leave out Common? But I'm yeah. talking about in terms of, 
Icon, icon. He's icon in his own way, but I'm just lifting up Dr. Angela no, Davis. No, it's all about today. Angela Davis. You are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> it got to always be about Dr. Angela Davis when she in yes. the place. But you did such an amazing job, and that was such a great event. And as I love tennis shoes, and the thing that caught my eye were the really designer, not, I won't say it's not designer, they were colorful tennis shoes that you were wearing with your popping dress. And it was so great to see you. I know that our paths have crossed before uh, when we were both guests with the amazing one and only, I used to call her the professor, I still do, but Melissa Harris-Perry, who is very much missed in that space. Yeah, it, it was, um, I know the shoes you're talking about, which I still have, and they are my favorite. They're some Gucci's. <laughs> yeah, so they, nice. I was right about the design. You were part. right. You were right about the designer part. You had that that dead on. And uh, strangely enough, you know, who actually gave me the confidence to start doing that is somebody else who we also just acknowledge for much more sad and tragic reasons, but Kobe Bryant. Um, yeah. I did an event with Kobe uh, for BT's um, award weekend and they have wrapped an entire conference around that award weekend of development workshops and um, you know a, a series they call their genius talk series where they sit down usually two sort of notable people together have an interview a conversation um, and before an audience and people get to learn things about um, somebody notable that maybe they had known before and Kobe uh, agreed to do one with me and yeah. this was maybe a, a year before he retired. And um, uh, I was in the green room with him and I was I had two I had some shoes. I had two pairs of heels that I was thinking about wearing with this dress that I had. And uh, I was asking um, uh, my girls and uh, my assistant as well, like, which which pair should I wear? And Kobe chimed in and he just said, I think you should keep the tennis shoes on. And it was uh, some, I was wearing a green dress and I had some green and white um, Chuck Taylors, Michigan State, because I went to Michigan State. So they were green and white uh -huh. Michigan uh, State Chuck Taylors. And he's like, no, I, I think you should be comfortable and put and keep on those shoes. He was like, just my opinion. I mean, you are Kobe Bryant. Who am I to, <laughs> <laughs> who am I to diminish your opinion? So that was the first time I ever did that. And it kind of became a little bit of a thing. I don't do it all the time, but when I do do it, I have the confidence to do it. And because of the company that we were in and, and Dr. Angela Davis and Common, I was like, you know what? I think these Gucci's would go perfectly <laughs> with this dress. So, <laughs> and they uh, did. Yeah. They did. Yeah, what so a great, incredible story. Uh, miss, certainly Miss Kobe. And I definitely understand what you're saying about the tennis shoes because we were just kind of socialized that, especially if you're wearing a dress, you must wear heels. And it's kind of hard doing the work that you were doing in the sports world. And for me, politics is a sport of sorts as well. And, you know, being on the campaign trail for a presidential election twice, the second time around, I really learned that if our sister want to preserve her feet and her back, it is not wise because you are on the move. It is not wise to, to wear pumps. And so kind of similarly, not having necessarily a Kobe Bryant say, I think you should keep those shoes on. But just a similar experience through knowing that if you're on the move, you, you got to have on some shoes that help you do the job that you were assigned to do at the time. So I, too, wear a lot of Chuck Taylors with the wedges and there's all kinds of popping. You know, we have what our foremothers didn't have, Jamil. They didn't have all these nice choices in tennis shoes that are fashionable and also flats that are pretty. And uh, we are living at a time where we do have that kind of 
we, we have that kind of choice. And also it's hip and cool and chic and, and women are really just coming into their own in many ways. And I think the ability to say, I don't have to wear a three inch heel is liberating. <laughs> You're not lying, man. Cause uh, <laughs> I, I tell you some of these heels, um, I'm convinced most of them were invented by men to Absolutely. torture us. To um, torture us. <laughs> this really it. Like, I, I mean, I love, I love some like Christian Louis Vuitton's. I love some of those, mm -hmm. but yeah. I, I really can wear very few of them because it's such a narrow shoe. And that heel is just, Oh, I'm it's like, who would do this to themselves, you know, and why? Um, and, but sometimes you look, I, I guess like a lot of women, um, when there is that choice of comfort or cuteness. Comfort over cute. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes right. I just had to I stun on them. You got like, to choose cute. I, I got to choose cute. I pay for this dearly, but I got to choose it. Probably, probably the worst experience I've had with that was um, this would, this would have been, I think it was 20... 15. It was the first time I've been invited to the White House. It was under the former president. You know, they, they throw, um, you know, those holiday parties. You know, they throw those holiday oh, parties. Oh, yes, I yeah, do. Yep, right. So I got invited to one. I don't know uh, what who drew the short straw and got to put me on an invite. <laughs> and But, yeah, going to the White House, I'd never been. I wanted to look my best. It was very cold in D.C. at that point. And so I had on um, like a really nice like blue dress, but I had these blue Jimmy, Jimmy Choo's. And I was just like, these Jimmy Choo's have an expiration on them. I got like an hour tops before my feet totally rebel against me. Right. Right. Unfortunately, I spent most of that hour in the security line and <laughs> trying to get in. And I was not only freezing, but my feet were that's the most pain my feet have ever felt in my whole life but i thugged it out i was like you know what oh i'm gonna get this they're gonna get this look they're gonna get this look in this white house this is gonna happen right especially uh when you you know go through the greeting line and everything so there i was you know taking the picture with the former president and first lady and um that that smile on your on my face i have this photo i'm not convinced it's a smile it might have been a wince because i was like i'm dying in, in pain in pain it, in pain and by the time i left i i was just like forget it man I, I took them shoes off like not even kidding i walked barefoot outside of the white house because i was like i can't take it anymore now so, now i got a burning question about the shoes did you ever wear them again have not worn them since they are, <laughs> but I won't, I, I won't get rid of these instruments of the devil because right. I, I have, you know, there's, it's associated with a fond, you know, memory. I also haven't worn that dress either, uh, since yeah. then either, but they are in my closet. I have a rack of, um, you know, Jimmy Choo shoes. Um, I have like three pair of which, um, uh, quite honestly, I'm pretty sure that were would would be well to would be good instruments if people wanted to ever use this to get them to tell people secrets. Because if you force anybody to wear any of these shoes for longer than ten minutes, they giving it up. They snitching. They snitching. Like there's there's no way. I have like three pairs of these shoes. They're all on the same row in my closet, and I have just termed that row the "Don't ever wear again" row. And so they are. I up love there. it. Speaking of. <laughs> Speaking of killer shoes and instruments of the devil, I wasn't going to go here so quickly. <laughs> no, nah, go here. Let's do it. How, however, you eulogized <laughs> Trump, the, the, pre the presidency, the everything. And so what what motivated you to take the time uh, to, to, to do that and to put that to really put that out there in the way that you did? It was so creative the way that you 
did that? And will we ever quite have closure? And where do we go from here as a nation? So the reason um, I'll start with the first part of your, of your question, I chose to do it because I want to mentally be able to turn the page. I don't think we have been able or will be able anytime too soon to turn the page as a nation, because I think there's a lot of people and you have witnessed this firsthand who just assumed that Trumpism and the element that he brought to the party was an anomaly. When it's like, this is just who all, who the Republicans and conservatives have always been. He was just um, Biff from Back to the Future. That's the mm -hmm. difference. He just wasn't polite about it, right? Mm -hmm. But we've had more polite versions of what Donald Trump was before. His name was Ronald Reagan, okay? Yes. And so um, the thing is, though, um, I feel as if given all that we had experienced for the last four years, um, all the incompetence, the bullying, the bigotry, the racism, the misogyny, all those things, um, I, I know I can't necessarily put it completely in the rear view because that element that he stoked, if you will, or that he brought out in, in a more bolder form is just going to be something that we have to contend with for a while. But with him now being banished from pretty much every social media platform, I mean, who gets banished from Pinterest? I mean, like, I was like, golly. Donald is, Trump. Donald Trump. I'm like, so my man can't even share, like, a cute cutting board. Like, it's just not even going to happen. No new curtains. Like, no no decor. Like, he can't share none of that. Like, no, you just go on. No, Jamil, he got to go old-fashioned, just standing out on the corner with the real board. You know, the yes. little poster boards. Right. That's the best he can do. He got to go old school, right? Old so school. It's, so it's like, you know, with him now not having that daily mouthpiece to be able to get out whatever idiotic thing he wants to say in the moment. Um, it's been really mentally refreshing for me personally, uh, as someone who has been a subject of his Twitter attacks. And um, it just felt like uh, it, I also wanted to do it ceremoniously because in many ways that incident, I don't define my career this way, but it became a defining moment. And sure. I, I do not want that to be the first line in my obituary is that this was the sports journalist that he once attacked on Twitter and there was a back and forth and all that, because then I have done something really wrong if that is the case. Right. So that was um, sort of the thought process with the eulogy. Now, in terms of where we stand as a country and um, uh, look, I, I don't I have never loved anything as much as the Republicans love Donald Trump ever in life. And I never want to know that love. If that's what love looks like, I don't want to know what that is ever yeah. in life. And regardless of whatever wrongdoing, uh, whatever incompetency, they are still very much attached to this man. And I have to say, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I am a little surprised that they have still remained dug in. And I get that it's a larger political play that they're trying to use is like they don't want him but they want his supporters right and so 74 million of say, them right yes, voted they, for him they want that 74 million to stay engaged stay in play and stay connected to the republican party and no matter of hypocrisy shamelessness or indecency to them is too much to bear to continue that connection but i guess i am a little surprised that it has kind of gone as far as it has but all that being said um you know, Trump very much for this country is going to be like a really bad, abusive ex-boyfriend. I mean, 
that is not going to let it uh, let this country go and thrive and be in other relationships and be happy. You're going to keep popping up outside the window. And we will keep, be like, stalked for a long we will, time. We will be stalked for a long time. Now, some of it is because a lot of it has to do with the fact that this party now that has been fully overtaken by him and his presence, um, they won't quit him. And so the rest of us, as a result, will be subjected to um, versions of him and people still carrying out his bidding. And that's unfortunate because... This is why this whole idea of unity, while it sounds great and it's a good message. And the one thing I am endlessly impressed with some politicians is their ability to still maintain a level of faith um, and positivity with this system. But unity is not going to be possible because without any accountability, there can't be any unity like that just can't happen. And so um, in those same the party that Joe Biden is used to working with throughout his um, you know, multi-decade career, this ain't the same party. And, and so I, I don't know. I understand this is something he has to say and probably something he deeply believes, but just all those little old buddy-buddy friendships that he had with some of the people across the aisle, I just don't really see how that functions under, um, uh, you know, under a government in which there was a pretty significant percentage of lawmakers who were trying to basically kill the other half. And I do mean that literally. So... I, where we go from here um, is uh, I think we're just going to probably stay in the depths and the abyss of this for a while. We're kind of stuck in this moment of uh, of discord for a minute. And it it's not going to be pretty digging out of it because um, there's 70 something million people that don't want this to get anywhere, that don't frankly want unity. So I, I guess I just don't foresee any um, in the foreseeable future. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. In eulogizing him, is that a reflection on us as a nation? I mean, I know that Mr. Trump, you know, many uh, many people believe, including myself, is that he was a manifestation of something deeper, some deep unfinished business in this country. And I often think that he had to be dealt with. Like, you have to reveal that that the way he comported himself as president, you just can't let that go and turn a blind eye. There's a however to it. I think some people in this country take pleasure in pointing the fingers at him so that as a nation, we don't have to deal with the deeper issues of race 
and anti-blackness and poverty and a system gone wild even before Mr. Trump took the oath of office. So in, in eulogizing him, are you really eulogizing the, the system that allowed him to become president of the United States of America? And do the rest of us bear some collective responsibility for that? I think he got too much credit, frankly. Um, you know, people, much like people tried to act like racism was over with Barack Obama, people yes. acted like racism started with Donald Trump. Colorblind society, baby. Yeah, exactly. Colorblind. Yes, post-racial. That was the post -racial. term. Post-racial. Yes. Post-racial, right? So racism, Donald Trump did not create it. Um, he certainly um, stoked it. He certainly brought it fuller brought her out to more open view. He took the politeness off of it, if he you did. will. But um, the, I think it was, uh, it was Ta-Nehisi uh, Coates who wrote a, a tremendous essay for the Atlantic where I'm a contributing um, writer. So people can accuse me of being biased, but the question that he posed in this was one that I don't think we're still ready to deal with is how did he even get here? That's right. the question. The question, That's like, exactly he's gone. It. He's left the White House. That's fine. And, and who knows what will become of the rest of his life. But the reason that he got in there, the reason why this is so appetizing and why the stain he left on the White House and the democracy will remain is because of what is in our foundation as a nation, what's That's baked right. underneath the skin. So I was always very hesitant to give Donald Trump that, that credit of being somebody who... Um, you know, brought this uh, new form of racism that we had never seen. No, we have literally seen this before. That's why it was so easy to predict um, if we, you know, if we look into history and take into account, you know, Reconstruction, all these other, other there are plenty of other points in American history that showed us that this was not only possible, it was inevitable. And so um, in, in that respect, while I was bearing and eulogizing the man, yeah. The yeah, these the um, poison of white supremacy is is just more potent and alive than ever because now it's been normalized in a totally different way uh, than maybe what we've sort of seen before. Um, you know, the fact that we're having conversations about should there be punishment for the people who tried to storm the Capitol and try to overthrow the de de democracy and if they had it their way, kidnap and or assassinate and lawmakers. Right. Yes. Like that could have been so much worse. It said it was by the thinnest of margins that it wasn't. And it's the same with the election of, of Joe Biden by the thinnest of margins. He Very became much, the president. Right? That's exactly right. And that point that you're making is something that I, I really very much want people to understand. There's not a mandate here. We have unfinished business in this country that is easy to point the finger at the tiki torch carrying folks or the people who wear the, the white sheet. Meanwhile, we let people with blue suits over white sheets get away. People who are more palatable with their anti-blackness or their white supremacy or all the other isms that really destroy the lifeblood and spirit of this nation. And so for me, that's really what I want us to get at that deep work that is going to be necessary to really transform this country. And it doesn't always manifest itself the way a Trump did or the colored water fountain and the white water fountain. Our real work, and I think one of our biggest fears as a nation, is dealing with the systems that were created on purpose to have 
blacks treated a certain way like second class citizens or our brown sisters and brothers and poor people because this is a caste and class system that we continue to bump up against and it's original sin anti-blackness you know an enslavement of our ancestors and then what happened to our indigenous sisters and brothers and we have made some progress but my god we still have a long way to go I mean, it's reminding me of something that brother james baldwin said when you know he was asked to wait or to be pa- you know he said how long must i wait my ground or be patient i forget the exact words he's more eloquent than i but you know he just started to enumerate you know you ask my grandmother you ask my father you ask my mother how long do you want me to, to wait or to be patient? And so that is my question. I'm, in your eulogy of, of, of uh, Mr. Trump and, and the Trumpism that brought him here and the swirling of that, that, that energy, because that was an energy and it's still mm. there. You're right. Even though he's out of the White House, it's still there. I wonder, do we have the courage as a nation, I mean collective nation, to deal with that unfinished business that will always, I hate to say always, I, I just don't believe in my lifetime that we're going to deal with it in a way that I could assure my son or my or my grandchildren that they don't have to go through another iteration of what we are, we've gone through and the same iteration that our foremothers and even not even foremothers and fathers because we got our elders are still alive who actually lived that. A lot of times we talk about these subjects. It's not, we, only, we ain't got to go too far back. So, yeah, what, I mean, do you think we will get there? Um, my lifetime, your lifetime, no. I mean, it's, it's I, and I know that sounds like really pessimistic uh, because the thing is, you even though you know you won't get there, much like our foremothers and fathers did, they knew they weren't going to get there, but they still tried tireless like tirelessly anyway like they still did it anyway like martin luther king jr told us i'm not gonna get there with you right he He told us that he said it in his speech and so i think um what we can do is we can lay the foundation and we can um or lay a new foundation we can crumble some bricks we can break some systems we can disrupt we can dismantle some things we can excuse my language, we said we could tear some shit up about it so that they are dealing with a little bit less of this than what we have to. Because even sure. though we're not close to being there, the fact is our, uh, the generation before us, um, you know, my mother's generation and our grandparents' generation, they tore up enough of it. So there are certain elements we don't actually have to deal with anymore. Right. Sure. So we're hoping it lessens degree by painful degree for this generation that's coming behind us. Um, I just hope we don't, um, we don't sort of take an intellectually lazy approach as we've taken, um, with solving these problems and breaking these systems that have been, you know, tools of oppression and instruments of uh, systemic racism, um, for a long time and thinking that it, it, it will die out. You know, my favorite is when people say like, Oh, the younger generation is going to be different. I'm sorry. When I was looking at Charlottesville. You know what I saw? Not a lot of old people out there. A lot of I young know people. That. True. That's right. A lot right. of young people were out there, and especially or Dylan Roof. I mean, he or Dylan was Roof. young, young guy, young, right? Young. Okay, yeah, and very so young. Yes. when you especially think about how technology is now interwoven and uh, how this white supremacy is spreading on a global uh, basis, and how it's organizing and maneuvering and um, manipulating systems that these are things that appeal to young people. 
And so um, they are being radicalized through information, through disinformation and misinformation um, and grievance in a way that um, previous generations have not. And that's an entirely different element to deal with. Um, it is. When you can look at the footage from the Capitol riot and see people who are, you know, uh, very proud and, and true, uh, you know, uh, canine conspiracy theorists. And the fact that you have elected officials that support this nonsense that are in, you know, that are in the Capitol now that are influencing laws and decisions and on committees is crazy to me. But you know, that's a part of the new fight and the new challenge um, that we had. There's going to be a lot of discouraging moments along along the way. And it was funny because when um, the election results became final for maybe the 55th time, um, <laughs> I uh, a lot of people kept talking about being happy. I haven't experienced. I mean, maybe the most joyous moment I had was watching the inauguration and seeing uh, uh, former lady, uh, former first lady Michelle Obama come through with the hair and that whole look, that was probably, yes. and Amanda Gorman, like those are my bits of joy in that. But this overwhelming sense of, yay, we did it. I ain't got to that yet because I'm like, How? How? we haven't really done what anything. What have we done? What yeah. have we done? I was like, yeah. we took a, a, a baby step, a baby, baby step. And right. that was more, you know, I think directed at getting the vermin about the White House than anything else. But we just the damage of the last four years combined with the other hundreds of years of damage. I mean, it's just it's a long road. And if you think about it in its totality, sometimes it can be quite daunting. So we just got to take this thing one day at a time. One day at a time. No, I agree with you. And I feel like you do just the I don't want to take COVID, you know, people just trying to find something to celebrate. So when I say this, I am not dismissing how people find their joy. I just hope that we, the collective, we understand that there's a lot of work for us to do. And you can't put all of your hopes and dreams in, in, into one person, into one system, that it is incumbent upon all of us to be, as Mahatma Gandhi once said, the change that we want to see in the world. And even if you like a politician, you have to make a demand. And the bar is so low, Jamil. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny here, but Jesus, no, it really is. being a little better than, than, than President Trump doesn't move me. I mean, it just doesn't, because that doesn't get us a whole lot. We need... Dr. Angela Davis, I believe, said radical just means getting at the root. Mm. And we need to get at the root of a lot of stuff in this country, politically, socially, economically, environmentally, at the root. And we cannot be afraid to do that. And as long as the fingers are still pointed only at Trump, and rightfully they should be, we also have to do some other things that is be bigger than Trump. I'm with, oh, he yeah. was in power. I mean, the man, I think he derives superpowers from all of the fixation about him. Yeah. I, I really, <laughs> he aged everybody else mm -hmm. because he enjoyed getting all of the attention and he did really get that in hell. We giving him attention right here. So we're going to move on <laughs> from him as I lose my earpiece. I want to <laughs> ask, so let's talk about change agents in sports. I mean, that is your area of expertise. ESPN. I mean, you you have broken so much ground. 
the daughter of Detroit, <laughs> the, the state up north, baby, because, you know, I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, so we side-eye, mm-hmm. y'all, especially at football time. Oh, man. Well, then it used to be at one point basketball, right? But, right. Um, yeah. No, but I, I mean, I love Cleveland. I have very fine memories of Cleveland. I interned at the Plank Dealer. So I, you did? Yeah, so I lived in Cleveland for four months. Yeah, I oh loved it. Yeah, yes. I loved it. Cleveland Heights, loved it. Right yes. off Cedar. <laughs> Cedar, oh my God, you got to come back. So much has changed. I did not know you did that. Yeah, oh. hey, look, I, 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 and I know a little, I guess, old school, a little old school Cleveland. I know about Hot Sauce Williams and... And, and Bells. Yes. Bells was the spot when I was Bells there. was the spot. It's all gone, Jamil. It's gone. Hot yeah. Sauce Williams is gone. You know, when I drive down the streets of my community and I just really ah, I just shake my head and, and feel a sense of loss because so many of those black businesses that you're talking about right now, they don't even exist. And even in thinking about COVID right now, Black 41% of black businesses have gone out of business. And that's not to say other people, you know, our other sisters and brothers are not suffering. It's always disproportionately the African-American community. Think about that. 41% of our businesses have gone out of businesses. Those are, and and Hot Sauce Williams and Bales has nothing to do with it, but since you brought them up, they've been long closed. It's just an example that those businesses employed our neighbors. They employed people down the street they were a gathering place and they don't exist again Bales and Hot Sauce Williams no I'm just using them as as an example that was long Mm -hmm. before then and man oh my god we got so much work to do so change in advocates in from from a sports lens Muhammad Ali Jackie Robinson Oh, my God. Fill in the person. (laughs) What do you believe the role? Is there a role for athletes to play in social change? It's a huge role. I mean, it's an established tradition um, in our community, in our culture, period. And I think we've always looked to people who were able to get to that point of um, I wouldn't say maybe acceptance isn't the right word, but um, who are able to get a different platform, a bigger platform, more money. We've always looked to these leaders in our community to speak for those of us who did not have the same access to some of the same things that they did. And so there's clearly in athletics, there's been this tradition that was established. Uh, if you want to go Jack, Jack Johnson and Muhammad Ali, as you pointed out, um, Tommy Smith, John Carlos, Muhammad Ali, um, a number of, of athletes have served in this capacity. And, for a while, I think when I first got into sports, I mean, I've been a professional sports writer now, a professional sports journalist, rather, for uh, 22 years, I think it is. And so when no I first... No way. Yeah, I'm older than I look. Oh, Lord. But <laughs> you so, started when you were 12? <laughs> I was 21 when I started, right? So, um, so when I got into the business, we were talking about late 90s, right? And the professional athlete of the moment that was beloved internationally was Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan had a much different blueprint for success. And his blueprint was stay neutral, don't say anything political, yeah. make this money, become a global star. That was his his way of doing things. Now, I, I have been very critical of Michael Jordan and his lack of, of action, especially while he was playing. But uh, I'll say this, is that in hindsight, which is always good, um, you know, to go back and reflect, is Michael Jordan's advocacy, his activism was actually and teaching black athletes how they could be major conglomerates. And for him to be a black man, to be the face of Nike, um, you know, to take that, this 
corporation into multi-billion dollar success is a huge accomplishment. And he taught other athletes how to do the same thing. Um, sure, I certainly wish he would have been far more politically active, especially yes. in North Carolina, where Jesse Helms was the senator yes. that represented his home state. And Michael Jordan did not back the black candidate that yep. uh, ran against Jesse Helms or, you know, therefore involved himself in trying to get this man about the uh, the Senate. Not saying it would have been easy, but still. Um, all that being said is that I think because a lot of black athletes were focused on the capitalism portion of, of their lives, that they were very dormant and very hesitant through much of the 90s, even stretching into the 2000s to never say anything about these issues. You got it in small pockets or in different ways, but in terms of speaking up on social injustice, racism, all these things, that was a non-starter, right? And so what happened, uh, I mean, I think it's two athletes that frankly changed that conversation very strongly, um, LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick. And yes. with LeBron, I go back to when he was with the Miami Heat and they wore the hoodies uh, because of Trayvon Martin. Trayvon. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so that became a league-wide thing that happened on social media. It happened as all these different teams, they were players taking pictures of themselves in a hoodie and talking about Trayvon because they could relate to either having um, relate to Trayvon, having feeling like they were him or the fact that we're talking about a lot of rich black athletes who have children who live in good neighborhoods. That's and if right. their children are walking down the street and people don't know that's LeBron's child or they don't Come know on. that's Steph Curry's child or whatever, then who knows what might happen to them? if the police are called or if some citizen decides that there's some place that they don't belong. So they very much could relate to that. That opened something that started something that sparked something. Um, and then after that, you had um, obviously Michael Brown and um, Philando Castile and the women in the WNBA who before Colin Kaepernick took a knee, uh, the Minnesota Lynx, Maya Moore, all those athletes there, they spoke out about that. And the Minneapolis Police Department walked off their post at their games. I remember that. Right, because yep. they were so disgusted that these women decided to not only speak out, they had a media blackout where they were not talking about anything but Philando Castile and police brutality. And fast forward into Colin Kaepernick and how his career was taken from him because he peacefully protested racial injustice. So the athletes of the moment that it became to emulate were athletes who actually had something to say, actually athletes who were willing to risk something to speak out, um, to talk about injustice and, and politics and get involved. And because LeBron James is who he is, he has influenced a generation of athletes to do the same. Same thing with Colin Kaepernick. They have so much respect for what he has done. And for that matter, see how easy it is for something to be taken from you right. um, based off uh, you know, your beliefs, um, it's inspired a different level. What we saw, we saw the culmination of that in 2020 uh, with, uh, with LeBron James is more than a vote campaign um, with the WNBA players. I mean, they, they won Georgia. They helped to win Georgia because Raphael Warnock, Reverend Raphael Warnock was polling at 9% when those women decided to put on T-shirts and talk about supporting uh, him over Kelly oh, The owner of the team. The owner of the team. Now, yes. we already know female athletes, they don't make nearly as much as men. No. A lot more to lose, right? Yes. And I think it was the most politically courageous thing I've seen done in sports in 2020 is uh, them deciding to defy their own ownership, support her opponent, 
and just basically give her a middle finger all the way up out of the Senate. And yeah. that, uh, considering how how little they can afford to lose, that takes some courage. Okay, it and does. so so yeah. So what you saw in twenty twenty, uh, from you know the NBA with the work stoppage after Jacob Blake to so many players being involved on the streets in protest and all the different things and conversations they were having. That is the culmination of what LeBron James and Colin Kaepernick and WNBA players have been able to create during this time of where they see what happens when they don't speak up and they see just the change and um, how they can really alter history by using their platform to do something for their own communities. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth... Let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects and old to podcasts. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work, in traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we need them. I mean, they certainly have been able to make money quicker and deeper and in more ways than even their predecessors. So in that way, I mean, they can submit a a financial legacy that is that is um, not that they won't be sacrificing anything, but just because they can get the money, they make the money because of the technology that we have and the type of 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 sponsorships they can get even more than Muhammad Ali or Arthur Ashe or Jackie Robinson's others that really put a lot on the line. And so you're right. It's so refreshing. And I hope that our sisters in the WNBA get the credit that they deserve through documentary, through books being written, because you're absolutely right. Their proximity to the owner of their team, it did take a tremendous amount of courage. And they 
as far as I'm concerned, are displaying the same courage, like muscle memory of (laughs) black women that have gone before them. And some of those black women are still very much alive today. So shout out to our sisters there. So you, I want to, I want to like end in with you. So you, your podcast, you're on Vice TV, which are the little pretty cards. I love when you, y'all rocking the cards and asking the questions (laughs) and just doing the thing. What inspires you to continue to push? You, you've you not been without your hurdles, the ups and downs mm-hmm. and turnarounds that everybody goes through. But sometimes when we look at people like you or even me or other people that folks may say they made it, uh, what, what, what motivates you? What inspires you even in moments where things are not pleasant? And what would you say to your 12-year-old self about <laughs> oh, who you are today? <laughs> Oh, you put 12. I'd probably say stop brooding so much. My goodness. <laughs> I had a teenager. I was moody and brooding all the time. And it's just like, what? I had a journal that I was writing all my thoughts into. and just, yeah. oh, just ridiculous. But at any rate, um, you know, I would say this. I think your motivation changes um, in different stages of your career. I think when you're younger, um, I, like when I was, I don't know, 16, 17 year old, 17 years old, my goal was to just make $50,000. I was like, if I can make $50,000 a year, yeah, I made it. Baby. I'd have made it more. <laughs> I was like, I'm doing it. You know, that was yeah. like my, my benchmark, of course. And I wanted to at that time, because uh, for a sports journalist, it was definitely the place to write. I wanted to be a writer for Sports Illustrated. Like, that was my dream. I wanted to write cover stories for Sports Illustrated. I never thought about ESPN. It's like, being on TV was so lame to me. I was like, who wants to do that? That's so stupid. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> that was my thought process then. But as I got deeper in my career and and um, seeing the trends in the industry, it just uh, became, um, once I got to ESPN, kind of a, a natural gravitation. So it, it was very succinct, professional, you know, purely selfish goals that motivated me through, I think, most of my 20s, which is not unlike how it is for most people in their, in, in their 20s. But uh, when I had my 30s, I mean, things started to change a little bit because I got a, uh, I became a sports columnist. Um, I got into commentary, using my voice, finding my voice, um, leveraging my voice, and it, much more important things came out of that. It's like I wanted to change narratives about how uh, not only how black athletes were covered, but how they were discussed and um, the stories that were told about them and that there was this huge oasis of stories that could be written about sports and where it intersected with politics, gender, race, and culture. Those are very messy intersections and sports often struggles to cover these things because sports fans, I get it that sports is entertainment for a lot of people. They want to turn into a game. They want to escape, right? They don't want to think about um, serious issues happening in our country. The problem is uh, sports is not happening in one universe and the rest of the world in the other. They're in the same universe, okay? They're in the same place. And sports is not immune to many of the systemic racial issues that are run rampant in our country. Um, sure. Sports is just presented with moments in which it could be a leader in these areas. And uh, because the one thing and you asked me what keeps me motivated. Part of the reason I will always even, you know, I speak more now about, you know, politics and other issues, but I will always keep firm footing in sports because it's the one thing we still do together in this country. We don't worship together. True. We don't, uh, you know, a lot of us, uh, we eat with the same people. We, we don't, we're, we're very segregated as a society. Um, and, but sports is not that way. You know, the, there could be a lot of, 
crazy hateful things coming on in the country. Tell you what, the Olympics start. We all we all we got. We all root That's for right. all the American teams, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and even the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is watched by 120 million people. It's 120 million people that have something to talk about. They've all watched the same thing, right? And so it has this way of bringing us together, which is, I think, why athletes that have chosen to use their platform to speak out have have found have found and discovered that they've been able to reach people in a different way. You might not listen to what Joe Biden has to say about this issue, but you might listen to LeBron James because he's your favorite athlete, right? You know, they may not listen to you, Nina, about a particular issue, but they might listen to Candace Parker, right? Because they love her and, and they enjoy watching um, her play. And so I always thought that was something very powerful and something as a journalist that I wanted to chronicle and be in on. The other motivation I have at this point in my career um, is, uh, you know, I have been able to do some really great things. I was at a major network for you know, 12 years, had a great career there. Um, you know, we we're. Ju- I was telling you the my White House stories. I got to meet some really cool people along the way from, you know, the president to, you know, Donald Glover to a whole bunch of other people, like, right, that yeah. I've been able to hang out with and, um, you know, talk to and, and pick their brains about things. That's all cool. That's great. Those are awesome. But at this point, um, I don't want to just open the door for other black women I got to get in the door and change the room, right? Because this has to be, you know, we talked about opening the door and then, you know, sort of wedging our foot to keep it open for other people. I don't have to wedge if I change the room, right? So uh, that door will remain open. And that's why one of the things that I'm really looking forward to is this podcast network that I'm building on Spotify for yes. black women, right? It's about being black women being the talent on the podcast and about subject matter and content that is related to us. Um, That does not mean other women can't listen because it's all relatable in some way. But as you know, black women in particular, uh, despite in many cases, I mean, throughout history, this is just what we've done is we have always been community minded. You don't you don't ever hear black women talk about going to the polls and voting in self-interest. We don't ever do that. No, like we don't we don't do that. Right. And yeah. then whenever um, uh, our our default mechanism is to care and put everybody else ahead of ourselves. And it's led to people. While I realize that they're trying to you know, be praiseworthy and be respectful by saying black girl magic and, you know, strong black woman. But it's also imprisoning us in a trope right Mm -hmm. and making us invisible to some degree that's not magic that's years of hard work of sweat equity of of uh, of hardened tough difficult situations having to navigate them when you're trying to deal with both um the twin combatants of racism and sexism that's what that is okay that ain't magic all right that's work all right right. (laughs) so i think we need a platform and a place where um, we can talk about the nuanced issues or talk about them in a nuanced ways, the issues that we deal with, and not just always traumatic issues. We need space to be free and joyous and happy and whatever emotion comes to mind. Um, And, you know, we need a platform because we are invisible still in so many ways. Like, it's all great if um, y'all big up at Stacey Abrams today. I need y'all to care about Stacey Abrams six months from now, or I needed y'all to care about her seven years ago. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, this is sort of my very uh, small way of giving us a space that we have earned 
um, above and beyond, you know, whatever standard is out there. Um, and so that we don't, we, we can fight against this invisibility that we're ultimately pushed into at um, various points once we've given our all for the greater good of everybody else. Say that I am so proud. Oh my God, award winning journalist. I see that Emmy behind <laughs> see you. See it back here? You see it? Yes, I see it. Award winning. Wearing the the stilettos and and thugging it out as she says because they gonna see these shoes and this beautiful dress, bringing the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Being uniquely who you are, having valley moments like everybody else, and then mountaintop moments. And in these moments, using your power and that black girl magic that came by work, because it wasn't just given to us. We had to work, sweat, cry, everything else to get it and here you are opening doors for other women i am so excited about your network as you thank you for being with us we're on the black effect network and to see you doing what you're doing and then people like charlemagne charlemagne the god same kind of vision like how do mm-hmm. we elevate black oh, yeah. voices and the majority of the shows on his network are black women and People like him and Michael Render, you know, a.k.a. Killer Mike, just to have so many of our brothers in those kinds of spaces with a determination. They're showing through their actions how they feel about black women and elevating us and putting and helping to use even some of their, their the maleness that they have. Not always a privilege, but in certain certain instances, it is to really lift black women. And then here we got sisters doing it for themselves. So. Good luck to you. Congratulations. And where, when, when, when is the debut of, of your network? Well, we still, you know, got some you still, I's to dot the T's to okay. cross, but uh, I will let you know for sure. Please y'all, do. Y'all won't miss it. Trust me. Y'all will not miss yeah, it, but we I'm do not want to miss it. it. <laughs> well, much love to you and big ups in everything that you do. And thank you for using your gifts and your skills and your abilities and you writing in that journal and that diary. <laughs> that that was a preview. Look at that. Come on now. That was a my, your brooding twelve year old self <laughs> was in training yeah, for I guess this it was. very <laughs> moment. So you are such a blessing. Thank um, you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. Hello, somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. 
Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.